You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock Podcast. Peter and I are joined by two fine fellows today. We have a returning Andy Bass. Hello, Andy. Hello. Had a bit of trouble logging in, but he's finally returned <laughs> after a few attempts. And uh, joining us for his debut on the show, he's a fellow Seagulls Over London member, same as Peter and I, uh, an excellent contributor on our WhatsApp group as well. Uh, it's Jack Phillips. Hello, Jack. How are you doing? Hi, all. Good to be here. Excellent. Great to have you with us. Um, a packed show. We're recording this Thursday night. We've got a few things to talk about. Um, despite the fact there's no further games since Leeds, we can talk a little bit about Leeds. But there's plenty of other stuff to discuss and a bit of a build-up to the weekend game against Wolves. Um, so, starting off, we've got to mention it, first of all. We've won a trophy, guys. Under-17s. Premier League Cup winners. How do you, you like those onions? <laughs> well, absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Um rather annoyingly I've only seen one of the goals yes, so actually, the first of which was scored just after I had to uh, turn the stream off um, <laughs> at the beginning of the game but um, yeah absolutely um, fantastic to have the Albion winning things down the down the uh, the chain of command yeah as it goes and like you know uh, Moran's goal the opener was just Unbelievable. What a fantastic goal. That's people take notice of things like that. Um you pick up yeah, yeah you pick it up on the edge of the D, turn, make your the circle, brilliant turn, striding run. Never thought about passing it. This is the ball's only going one place. I'm just gonna score here. What more do you want? Fantastic. And he didn't go to Hollywood with the finish. He he, he just placed it, didn't he? Passed it yeah. into the net. With a bit of pace, but not, not not absolutely blasting it, which may have screwed up the move. It was, yeah, it was great. How he could do that against a better opposition, who knows? It's difficult to say at this stage, but he's a hell of a prospect, isn't he? Uh, did you watch the game, Jack? Uh, yeah, it certainly uh, spiced up my afternoon meeting at work. Um, but the uh, <laughs> the I, I thought we were fantastic. I thought we were miles better than, than Middlesbrough, and, and it was really great to see. Um, but even better to see that 
uh, you know, after years of saying, um, you know, the academy will work, we'll, we'll see it do something fantastic soon to actually have that kind of trophy in the cabinet to add to the uh, the two very very old <laughs> trophies in the Albion cabinet um, and see Tony Bloom's investment starting to pay off. Absolutely. So it's, it's all good, isn't it? Two nil was the final score, wasn't it? By the way, um, for anyone that hasn't caught the result, um, it's always good to beat medals. But no Mike Dean as referee this time. No uh, children's shin pads being worn by the opposition. So it's good to see that uh, that's a change as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, congratulations to the lads. They've done really well. Um, one thing actually to mention, Peter, I think you probably saw this on one of our other WhatsApp groups as well. Uh, Malcolm um, watched it, and he he said, "Re Andy Moran." Uh, he said he signed from Irish side Bray Wanderers last summer. He's just part of what looks to be a promising crop of 16 to 17-year-olds. The cup run was played 6-1-6, scored a, a 21, conceded three, and there were 11 different scorers, he believes, um, which is impressive. And he said uh, these 16-year-old youngsters doing well away from home for the first time and during a pandemic. They're from Ireland, Australia, France, Sweden and Oldham, <laughs> um, plus youngsters that have been with the Albion through the years. So that's that's the kind of the background to it. I know he follows, uh, Malcolm follows a lot of the youth development stuff that goes on as well. So he's, he's always a useful go-to guy for that. So um, thanks for that, for, for that, out, uh, that bit of info there, Malcolm. Um, so great news there and great news for us at the weekend, of course, the Leeds game. Um, again, to Andy and Jack, sorry, I'll bring you in in a minute, Peter, but to Andy and Jack first, um, what was your take on Leeds just in, a quick overview. Uh, who wants to go first? Andy, maybe? Um, I thought we were really good. We looked really, we looked, we looked very comfortable. There was a, there was maybe a, a couple of 10 minute spells where I thought, oh, you know, Leeds are putting the pressure on and obviously we, we've seen ourselves give away Leeds before, but, but really, they didn't really, Leeds didn't create anything. We, we snuffed them out and, and again, we should have won by multiple Goals. We, I mean, four nil wouldn't have would wouldn't have even been stretching it. I mean, mm. it could have been five or six, and just the same old, same old um, sort of missed chances that, that we had. But we scored a penalty. Who knew? Yes. <laughs> and ironically, and Miracles. Ironically it, was, ironically, it was a great penalty, and it had to be a great penalty because Melier had really. I don't think the keeper mm. could have done any more if that ball was not in that spot it's it's not going in another inch towards the keeper and, and he'd have saved it um, and then obviously yeah. Welbeck sealing the deal at the end with, with just some sublime skills fantastic what a great result and you know we're just very good at playing leads absolutely we are aren't we and Peter's smiling away as always on that one um, Jack anything to add to that I mean it was, it was great seeing a scout penalty again Pascal Gross keeping up his 100% record, apparently, according to Amazon Prime, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm sure, sure that's all right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I just I thought we were great. Um, it was it was all a bit easy, which was a pleasant surprise because, you know, being an Albion fan, it, it's really very easy. Um, so so it was, a, it was a really sort of lovely afternoon, especially after the Sheffield United game, which was just so terrible. Um, to oh. then turn up and and be able to put in a performance like that was, was really great. But, you know, classic classic Brighton, isn't it? Um, to flounder against the worst team in the league and then turn up against Bielsa's boys and, and make them look pedestrian. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, we've left him on the sidelines long enough. It's time for Ali Razor to come in. I mean, Peter. Um, <laughs> any any further thoughts from you, Peter, on the game, the Leeds match? I mean, I think I said pretty much everything over in the week I wanted yeah. to say about Leeds. It was, uh, yeah, very enjoyable. Um, just to say what Andy was saying about um, about Moran earlier is that interesting because they've already talked of United being interested in him. Hmm. So hopefully yeah. we've got him on some sort of deal that's, uh, that's going to be yeah, kind of long term. I also noticed that I think it was Mark Beard was interviewed before the game in the paper to the day and was saying it's the best crop of players at that age that we've ever had. So yeah. that's an encouragement anyway. Certainly the likes of Emerson and... You know, and uh, and Moran have certainly got you know quite good reputations already at that level, so that's quite yeah. exciting. And a few of them played in twenty three level already, at, which considering their age is impressive. Yeah, Mark Beard being the under seventeens coaches now. That's right. Yeah, um, just a couple of bits for me from Leeds. I'm not sure if we mentioned about Lewis Dunk's chess. Actually, I've got a feeling we might have actually neglected to mention his chess back to the goalie. If we did, we just quickly mention it now. That was brilliant, wasn't it? <laughs> Absolutely sublime, and and I think I saw a stat today saying he's he's got the second most accurate passes out of any player in the league, Lewis Dunk this season, Mm. and he just he's so good, isn't it? It's unbelievable how he's got to this height. I think seeing him for for all these years, he's always looked like a really great player, but some of the things he's doing, like that chest, are just yeah, world class at this point, and the highest amount of accurate long passes as well. Yes, yeah, Yeah. which is not a surprise because he's. He's good yeah. at those, isn't he? It's really genuinely hard to see how Southgate doesn't pick him in the squad, really. I mean, you look at the pretty average central defenders that get picked by people like Michael Keeney's picked, you know, players like Mings, who I really don't rate that highly, Cody, and yet Dunk doesn't get in, only got in a squad once, and it's just... I don't yeah. know what it is. I mean, maybe it is an anti-Albion thing, because I can't think of a logical reason why he would watch these players week in, week out, and conclude that he's got four better than the halves who are English than Dunk. Yeah, I, I mean, now... Sorry, right. yeah. I, I think it was really interesting how the club have started to um, leak some stuff clearly and put out some of the right words um, this week as, that supposedly Potter said uh, to the dressing room that there's no better English centre-back in, in available at the moment uh, after the game and uh, there was a good interview with Ben White put out by the club where he talked about you know how he was the hardest trainer um, that he's ever seen and that he would be his first pick for an England team if he was an England manager. Um, so I think the club are doing all they can to try and uh, convince Southgate that he needs another chance. But we'll have to wait and see, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, well, we've got the extra three places now. So good news for Welbeck, for Dunk, for White and for Webster. I'm sure three of those four will squeeze into those places. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, on Dunk, I mean, his, his stats, Albion Analytics on Twitter were saying 42 out of 45 passes completed, which ties in with your accuracy thing there. You mentioned, guys, um, 15 ball recoveries, five clearances. Captain Fantastic, he says. And he also mentioned, um, I think there was something on Grosh. I haven't got stats on that one, but um, just saying how well Grosh is playing. And obviously, as you said, the penalty conversion. Apart from that miss against West Brom, he's been pretty good from the spot, to be honest. And, and that penalty, as you said, the goalie, couldn't have done any more. And the fact that we still scored with a low one um, just shows how accurate that was. And he normally is. I mean, he wasn't very, very far away from being perfect with the West Brom penalty, was he? That's the thing. Um, yeah. Small margins. Yeah. But anyway, that's that's that. Um, so good news all round for the Albion. Uh, and also there was a brilliant goal as well as Welbeck's goal. There was a brilliant goal for the women as well. Um, I've forgotten her first name, but Lee, the, um, I think she's a midfielder. I think she's Korean. Um, just ran from range and then just hit from range uh, right into the top corner. Great goal for her as well. So uh, the women's team on 
unfortunately did lose that game 3-2, which meant Everton had gone ahead of them on goal difference. So Albion down to seventh, just into the bottom half, um, going into the last two games, I think it is, two or three games. I think it's the last game this weekend, and it's it's Reading who went above us, but it, but they're playing Chelsea at the weekend. So if, if we can beat Br- Bristol City or Boston, there's a fair chance we'll finish sixth, which would be top half. So that, to yeah. be fair, is pretty impressive. Yeah, that would be that would be excellent just to see the progress that the women's team have uh, that have made this season, um, and the, yeah, to not be contending with relegation, but you know, toying with the top half or exactly midway hmm. is significant progress. They're attracting better players. I think they are getting more excitement. I think you know, I mean, it is a shame they're playing Crawley. I mean, not that we're allowed to go and see them now, but. Hmm. If they were near nearer Brighton, I would definitely, I would definitely go and see them. Also, especially yeah. considering they were really struggling at one point. I mean, they got to Bristol City who stuffed them three 0 at one point, and they were right down the bottom in trouble. And then they had an amazing run about four or five wins in a row, didn't they? Or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think done a wonderful job. She's, yeah, she's, she has. I think the club are clearly invested in her, and it's great to see it paying off. Yeah, I don't know if they've announced it, but they, she's on the shortlist for. Uh, manager of the season as well. I don't know if that's been decided yet, but the fact she's on the shortlist, I know it's likely to come from the top flight and there's only 12 clubs top flight, but nonetheless, still to be on the shortlist is, yeah. is commendable. Um, it's where we go from here though. Obviously, there's like four probably teams that are unlikely to overtake, yeah. so you can probably only realistically got Everton and well, Reading at the moment in your sights to overtake. And so it's kind of like you're probably never going to get much higher than something in fifth or fourth or whatever. Because yeah. the, the top four are probably all pretty much Arsenal, Chelsea, City, United are all pretty big. Well, you would maybe think whether they would want to expand, ultimately expand that that top division to include more clubs hmm. and therefore look at you know the European competitions, maybe expanding those in the same way that you have Europa League and what so it's not I wouldn't yeah, I wouldn't say it's it's impossible for them to to do more, especially the opportunity to like just make make them more competitive and get more spectators to go and watch them. I, uh, mean, I, I think that the TV deal is going to change the women's game completely. Yeah. Um, it just gives, you know, uh, more of an emphasis on getting uh, more fans in and, and more fans involved, but also it gives a financial backing to teams so that they can act a bit like Man United have, right? And that they've come from essentially not having a competitive women's team in, in the second tier to having the fourth most competitive women's team just by investing heavily. And it'll be great to see all of those women's Super League teams have a cash flow that allows them to compete. Yeah, and that new deal will certainly help because it's Sky, who are the principal football protagonists, aren't they, really, in this country? And BBC, which is, of course, the most principal of the terrestrial channel. So split between those two and expanded more coverage on both is great. I think it's really good. Yeah, Ali. Yeah, I was just saying also, like next year we have the Euros, the Women's Euros in the UK, in you know, in England, and uh, more specifically at the Amex as well. Mm. So there's a chance next season for those players to to you know raise their profile with with better coverage on TV leading into leading into the tournament which will hopefully generate more interest. I mean, though the women's tournaments have been pretty popular. I mean, friends of mine are, are you know, watch, watch all the World Cups and European, European games. And um, 
and people want to go and watch them as well. So I expect the ticket sales to be pretty good next next season for for that. So it's a real yeah. opportunity for the for the game in this country, and not just for like Chelsea and Man City and Arsenal, but for for the other for the other teams in the Premier League at the moment to yeah. sort of you know stake their claim and uh, you know get more interest. I think so. I'm, I'm really enjoying um, Peter's impersonation of Ernst Blofeld, by the way. It's looking good there, Peter. <laughs> uh, he's, a white cat has appeared on his lap. <laughs> um, the name, quickly, we'll do a name check, as we mentioned. Uh, Bernie. Um, Bernie, it's Bernie, yeah, that's it. Excellent. Um, so, yeah, moving on. He is my cat, it's not a random cat appearing on my knee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, world power, though. World power, domination next. Um, yeah, speaking of the Euros... Um, obviously, we, hopefully, we might even get um, one of our, our own players representing England. That'd be nice. I don't know if that's feasible or possible. Depends on signings, maybe, as much as anything. Um, yeah. But speaking of the Amex, of course, fans will be able to return for the Man City game. They put forward the proposal to move um, the, the fixtures forward. So West Ham is now at the weekend rather than midweek. And Man City has been moved to the Tuesday after that, which is the last midweek of the season, um, to allow fans to come in. There's not going to be any away fans either of the last two games of the season, and they've decided on advice. But there's going to be up to, in Brighton's case, 7,900 allowed in home fans for the game with City. Um, so that's uh, good news for some Albion fans. Um, on that subject, I mean, it's great to be able to go to games like that if we're able to. Jack, you've been going for, I don't know how long, but I want to get your Albion backstory next. So tell us a bit about how you came to be an Albion fan and when it was. Uh, I, I didn't have much choice, really. Um, it was, uh, I, I was born in North London um, and I went, grew up in North London and at my school it was 50% Arsenal, 50% Tottenham and me being the odd one out. Um, my dad's my dad's a, a Brighton fan since the sort of mid sixties. Um, he he grew up down there, and uh, on my my second day on this earth, uh, he signed me up as a junior seagull, and that was that really. Um, so so I've only got him to blame. Um, but I went to my first game when I was four, um, and was very cold, and I didn't like the noise so much, but I stuck with it. Um, <laughs> So that was at Gillingham. Um, I, my first season was uh, the 98 season. So just after uh, the, the big 97 ruckus and us leaving the Goldstone. Um, so I missed all of that. Uh, but I, I managed to get to Gillingham uh, for a couple of seasons and then really got into the album when we moved back to Whitby. Um And uh, me and dad used to go down and, and watching that sort of Cullet Zamora team get their way up the leagues was fantastic um, and though I was often asked what what real team I supported I stuck, stuck it out with the Albion for years and years and years um, until you know what's been fantastic of moving to the Amex and uh, which is 10 years now um, got my, my season ticket uh, on day one and then uh, the following year I went to University of Sussex I only lived across the road um, and lived down in Brighton for four years before returning to London. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's always been a part of me. Um, me and my dad have always gone and uh, been through some, some pretty terrible times and some pretty fantastic times. Um, it, it's never been boring. And uh, together we've done, I think it's 47 or 48 of the 92. Um, so it, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun. And I can say 
uh, a lot more fun than just supporting Arsenal, um, which is what most of my friends did. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm bleed blue and white, um, but I didn't really ever have any choice in that. Yeah, well, your story sounds very similar to Ernst Blofeld's over there um, in terms yeah, of Dan Bryan fan. I London as well and went to school yeah. with people supporting a combination of Arsenal and Tottenham and yeah. also like Man U as well, the Glory Hunters who were yeah. moving to Manchester United. But yeah, it was... Uh... And, in, and indeed, Andy also has a North London connection himself, don't you, Andy? Uh, yes. People supported Arsenal, Spurs, Man United or yeah. Liverpool, yeah. basically. So whereabouts was it, Jack, that you brought up just uh, roughly? So I was brought up in Barnet. Um, oh, in Barnet. Yeah. yeah, and um, a lot of a lot of my friends still are Arsenal season ticket holders, um, which has mm-hmm. meant, uh, as you may have seen by the lack of attendance, uh, that I've often been able to get into the Emirates uh, for free. <laughs> uh, but oh, yeah, nice. I, I, I even used to live um, uh, literally on the uh, St Thomas's Road, which is... Um, with Highbury at the at one end of it, so it's very close to the um, to the ground, and uh, it, it's bizarre living in between those two clubs when you, you don't support them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, strange times, I suppose. But anyway, it's great to have you as an Albion fan, that's for sure. Um, and. On the, that subject, we're probably going to take one quick break here. What we're going to do, we're going to have a part two where we are going to go to town on the, well, the big developments that have happened over the last couple of weeks in a bit more detail, um, a, a, a full-on summary of what's happened so far, where we're up to and what our opinions are on that. And we will have a third part either way, which may or may not include a guest. Um, details on that to follow as and when, but we're going to take our first break just there. Okay, so welcome back to part two of this podcast, episode 136, I think we're up to, Peter, and we are in the company of Jack Phillips making his debut, and a sensational debut so far, and I've also Andy Bass is back with us. One thing, Jack, I've got to ask you in the first part of the show was, whereabouts have you got season tickets? Yeah, so, so me and my dad are season ticket holders and have been the entire time at, at the Annex um, in the West Stand Upper, um, oh, right yeah. on the halfway line about three rows from the front, um, which is great because there's a, a screen uh, that the commentators use and that shows all the VAR replays as they happen. So, oh, uh, nice. you know, I, I, I'm, I'm quite a fan of VAR when it comes to being at the Amex, but only because I have a better view than everyone else. <laughs> oh, that is good. Yeah, yeah, excellent. I'm sure, yeah, I'm West Upper as well. Um, quite a few of us, that Andy is as well. Yeah. And um, yeah, we'll look out for you for sure. Um, although you'll probably be analysing the half-time data when you or something. By the sounds of it. Anyway, in this part, just wanted to go into a bit more detail on the so-called European Super League, as its official name is, so-called at the beginning of it, um, the Dirty Dozen League, as I'm calling it, and the Greedy Eight, uh, sorry, the Greedy Six or the G6, as I'm going to call them from now on. Feel free to call them what you want, guys. Swearing is allowed as well. Um, just a quick summary of where we're at, really, with this. So, Sunday, the I think it was Sunday the 18th of April, wasn't it, where the announcement was made, um, 20 teams... Um, to be in this new Super League, um, divided into two groups of 10, 15 basically um, full-time permanent members and five people who would qualify through one reason or another each year. 
Um, so basically no relegation, no, no promotion and relegation as such. Um, there was outcry from all areas of English football, fans, media, pundits, um, other ex, um, ex-players, all sorts really, um, all kinds of media. Uh, managers and players were having their say as time went on, including Henderson got all the, the Premier League captains together to make a statement against it. Klopp was clearly uncomfortable talking about it and was really hung out to dry by being asked, put on the spot, the same with Solskjaer and various others. Um, then we had the Perez shambles on TV. Apparently, the TV channel that Florentino Perez was on was called something like, it's, it's called Bitch something, apparently. It's some crazy name <laughs> it translates to. So it's, it's, it's a sketchy type of channel. And I think that was in keeping with the complete shambles that was the PR for this. It wasn't well thought out. They, they didn't think it through. They didn't. Even just if they wanted to go ahead with the plan as it was, they didn't present it as well as they could have done. The website apparently was a joke. Um, they then announced it at an awkward time. Um, and really, as I said, there was no co- coordination or communication with other members of hierarchy within those clubs. Just a set few at each club knew about it. Um, so a shambles in general. Gary Neville, of course, had his Uber rant. And yes, there's hypocrisy attached of sorts. My mate's a Darlington fan and hates Salford City for buying their way through the divisions. It's a different kind of thing, I think, in some respects to, to this Super League scenario. But I do think everything Neville said was spot on. 24 hours within the announcement, it had pretty much collapsed, except for the denialists of Real, Barca and Juve, who are all still insisting it's going to go ahead, despite the fact it seems to be a dead duck, thankfully. Um, it's been pretty pathetic um, and insincere apologies that we've heard from various quarters. One or two have tried to be more heartfelt, but ultimately they just don't seem to have any earnest to them at all. Um, further outcry, plenty of protests that all of the big clubs um, who were involved, their fans coming out in force, including Chelsea's for the game against us, which led to a kickoff delay. Man United, uh, Liverpool, in the most recent developments, um, had their game at the weekend postponed. The biggest game, biggest fixture on the English domestic league calendar of any, apart from Palace Brighton, obviously, um, was was this game. And it's been postponed. That's got to have resonated somehow, surely, with the vulture capitalists um, in, well, in both Liverpool and Manchester and beyond, uh, with Stan Kroenke as well. Um, Fan groups have since engaged with some members of some of those clubs, um, I think the Arsenal Supporters Trust, the Man United Supporters Trust, um, SOS, which is um, Shank, uh, Spirit of Shankly, and I think the other groups as well have all had some kind of engagement. I think somebody, is it Chelsea, have promised to have some, some representation on the board? I think it might be Chelsea. So there's been some developments, and the most recent news is that there's a Premier League charter has been announced that it's to be introduced, which might be a good way of solving the anomaly with the 50 plus one idealism versus the reality of, you know, you're not going to be able to get 51% control of mega companies. Um, So having representation on the board and maybe having some kind of voting sway, even if not having control of the company might be the way forward. Maybe this charter is the way to go. Guys, what's your take on it all? I'm absolutely disgusted with every single element of what's happened over the last couple of weeks in terms of the vulture capitalist and all that's gone in association with them. I think it's a disgrace. It's an insult to the English game. It's an insult to the culture. It shows their complete and utter lack of respect in any regard to 
this institution that is football that's gone on for 150 years. It's, it's more than 100 years before I was born. It was going, um, you know, and I'm older than you guys. <laughs> I think, well, maybe, maybe not Andy. I don't know. I'll have to chat with Andy later. <laughs> but, but anyway, um, guys, what's your take on, first of all, the initial stuff and, and what's happened recently with the charter? And is that the way to go forward, would you say? Who wants to go first? Andy, maybe? Um, yeah. Um, I never thought it would. I, I, I'm surprised it collapsed as quickly as it did. I'm not surprised it collapsed. Mm. I just thought, how is this going to work? It's completely ill-conceived. They, they don't understand the, the, you know, they don't understand their customer base. I'm putting it purely in business terms because this is this is all what this is about. It's a money grab. It's a business move. And basically, if you want to succeed in business, you've got to know your market. You've got to understand your customers and make sure you give them what you want, what they want. So then, you you sort of reap the rewards, and and they completely fail to understand um the reaction that the fans would have not only not only the fans but the domestic fans like the, the fans in in england and in, in in england in particular um but also understanding sensibilities of the of the of the sort of cash cow of like the sort of um uh, you know supporters in in asia and like these these other markets that they're looking to exploit and they sort of fail to in, in India. They fail to understand the the sort of nature of, of of why those people support those teams as well. I mean that you know they they're popular because they they play in these domestic competitions which have the history and rivalry. This is what they were. This is what they were brought up on the myths and legends of everything to tear it all down. They just totally misunderstood it. So I mean, there's no domestic market for for these games. Um, they also assumed that the that they would still be able to carry on playing in uh, in their in their respective leagues, albeit with the extra money that this that this um, venture would give them. And of course, they had done all this behind their domestic leagues' backs. Why were they going? Why did they think they were going to be able to continue participating in these competitions? So it's going to fall at the first hurdle. What's it's really what amazes me about this whole farce is how extremely stupid these people are. And it's, it, it was never going to win. I mean, part of me just thought, yeah, go, go ahead and do it. You have your little 12 team league. You can't play in our competition. You know, you, you, you want to do your own league. That's fine. Um, you know, be successful maybe for a season. Everyone's going to get bored of it. Whilst we get on playing actual football, with real football clubs, real football fans, maybe take a little bit of a little bit of the money out of it to regain some sanity in in how we we run our domestic games. But you know, it's like I think I think I said on on a I think it was on on the Raw or something um, six something like fifteen million people went to watch Premier League games in twenty about twenty nineteen. Eighteen million people went to watch. Championship, League One, League Two, not even including non-league in this country. It's like not everybody cares about what happens to Manchester United and Liverpool. You know, I mean, they, they, you know, Man City, they've got great players. I mean, it's, it's aesthetically nice to watch those guys, but I don't care about them. You know, I'm not a City fan. I'm not a United fan. Their fans care about it, but I don't. 
they, they're of no interest to me unless we're playing them or they're playing someone I want them to beat or lose to. Um, it's like absolute, absolute nonsense. I, and um, and it is rare that I've, I've found myself applauding the actions of Chelsea and Man United fans uh, <laughs> this week. Um, and, and, you know, and Arsenal fans as well. They turned out in great numbers for their for their demo, but I thought the Chelsea fans did. They did it first. They were quick to react, and you know they at least caused a delay in the game, and it had an impact. It got the ball rolling. I think with United fans, um, getting the game called off was fantastic. Yeah, that's that's 100%. that's you know that's that's what you aim for. You that's how you get the impact. That's how you get listened to. And then if they wanted to just like totally ignore them, go back, make sure the next one gets stopped. Then suddenly, you don't have a product because that news um, is going all around the world now. Yeah. It raises the profile; and, it puts um, pressure on them. Yeah. So I, I think there are some positives out of it. I think that this charter, that it's it's all fairly vague at the moment. Um, I think they, they're going to await the review of what exactly these six clubs did. But it's a step in the right direction. They they have to sort of like get this down in legal language that you are not permitted to even talk among yourselves yeah. privately because it's been an amazing breach of trust. I was yeah. <laughs> as much as I like Paul Barber, I think he's absolutely brilliant. I was rather disappointed to hear him sort of play down the possibility of sanctions mm. um, to these clubs because he was just kind of forcing it or you know blaming the individuals involved but i think you know i i would i would take a slightly harder stance i think for this season yeah maybe not maybe not relegate them but i think yeah you give them all like a 30 point deduction for next season as a slap on the wrist something of that nature something of consequence yeah. that just says you're not going to get away with it because Anything financial won't have any effect on on these clubs because, particularly like City and Chelsea, because their their owners have loads of money, um, mm. and to a lesser extent, Cronky. But Cronky, Cronky's the only one that's really really seems interested in actually making money out of uh, Arsenal, and he does that quite successfully. But but you know, but you yeah you 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 know relegating for a season that they'll they'll all come back. But they can't yeah. all come back in one go. Yeah. I think it'd be quite interesting. Yeah, it could but be. I mean, you'd be pretty annoyed if you're in a championship, though, and like the big six or something yeah. dumped in there, and your chances of getting a top six place were literally gone overnight. Maybe dump them down in their own league at the bottom of the pyramid instead, and they can fight their way back <laughs> up. It would, be, yeah. it would be amusing. I mean, I you know, I think, I think, I think the I think the rest of the Premier League, um, sort of. You know, welcome the you know the, the sort of the cachet that these clubs bring to to them. It obviously makes them more valuable if they're in the same competition. But I think sometimes you have to you know put your foot down and and say no. There is a consequence to these actions. I certainly think in terms of like Liverpool, United, and Arsenal, and, and laughably Tottenham. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Who, you know, who it, it seem to be the prime movers, City and Chelsea, from what we're hearing, just seem to think, well, we, we might as well go along with it 
but they were the two teams that were, that needed this release because they don't need the money. They they've got it. I think I think you the know. Liverpool United thing is is probably the most interesting because the worry for me is it's basically taking football along the lines of American sports where teams just do what, you know, move around as they want. You know, I'm pretty sure when I'm saying the European Super League, the whole playing a round of games in the US would probably have happened or playing a round of games in Dubai or something would definitely have been not far off. And, you know, football yeah. would have completely gone from where, or the Super League would have gone away from, from where it was. Yeah. But obviously the interest, I mean, obviously the, the main mover and the guy who still doesn't accept it's gone is Florentino Perez, who has come across so badly in all this. I mean, every, no one's come across well from the from the big teams, but... He, I mean, some of the things he's come up with about how you know, ch- you know, young people aren't interested in football. He's come up with some stat about only twenty percent or forty percent of the fo- young people are interested in football, watching football these days because they're too busy playing FIFA and other computer games. Like, where have you got this information from? What? What? Are you just making up stats to try and back your point. There was one I was just looking for a quote. He said, and he was making a point that there are too many boring and uninteresting games to chat the Champions League currently, which would even more be the case if there was a a Super League where no team can be relegated. I mean, it's guaranteed to have. I mean, what's the interest between when you're playing AC Milan against Arsenal and they're 14th and 15th at the end of the season? I mean, how much more privilege does Real Madrid have to have? They've already got the benefit of government bailouts. Yeah. Um, shockingly, at the expense of the public. Nobody likes yeah. them in Spain. They think they're popular. They're not. Unless you're Real Madrid fans with all the plastics around the country. It's the same yeah. with Juve as well. They're, they're not popular with anyone else. And the they've got a, a privileged TV deal. I know it's been reined in a bit, but they've still got a privileged TV deal. So do Barca, where they've already got a disproportionate wealth and they still get themselves a billion in debt. And now they need, they want everyone else in England and wherever else to collapse down and just suffer because of, just to feed their, well, their endless kind of hunger for greed. The author I, I, hadn't read, uh, I hadn't read until just now was that some football, the football matches are too long as well. So there was talk some Super League matches were going to be shorter than currently. And, and the best one I heard was that they brought up the European Super League to save football as a whole, because without it, football would you know, basically go downhill completely. <laughs> I think um, the the thing that was like the, the falling point for, of all of this was Perez is supremely feared in Spain, right? He is like politically powerful. He's one of the richest men in the country. Um, he's got the richest football club. He's got the biggest business. He gets what he wants and he has Spain, Spanish football has this weird thing where the two papers are basically a Barcelona paper and a Real Madrid paper in terms of the sports pages and, and he has control of the media narrative. And I think from what I've read and what, what I've heard, he very much thought I'm Florentino Perez. I do what I want. I want this to happen. And misjudge that actually no one gives a crap about that over here. <laughs> but, you know, you're, you're an old man who is basically telling us what to do. And I think that's where it all fell apart in terms of the fan support. But the thing for me that was like the, the sort of subtle thing is that it wasn't, of course, called the European Super League. Um, it was just called the Super League and it was registered yeah. as the Super League and they were very careful not to do that. And I think it was very clearly going to be the first step to franchising, right? And mm. that they would, even if they didn't move teams um, as such, that it would be less of a static kind of ideal. Uh, and then you'd be able to have sort of a, a South American competition and uh, an Asian competition. And then it all leading into this FIFA Club World Cup and destroying UEFA, I think, would have been the ultimate ideal. But the the reality is, you know, it's it's all pretty awful. Except uh, I have spoken to quite a few friends who are Arsenal fans, and um, 
and some involved in the protests and they all seem to be really on board with the punishments, which has really surprised me. They've all sort of, they hate it so much that they're sort of going, yeah, throw the book at us. We want a point deduction. We want, you know, to be made an example of. And I think this narrative that, you know, oh, well, you can't give a point deduction because it hurts the fans. Fans are hurt already. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's not stopped them punishing other people in the past anyway, further down no, the future. Exactly. Is it? So, Clearly Albion. Yeah. Indeed, yeah. yeah. Uh, was the fans technically you were a fool for the Albion? I think mm. I think what you're saying about the about Perez being surprised is quite interesting. Because I actually think also the same for the owners over here. I, I think they fully expected there'll be outcries amongst all other football fans, but I don't think they quite understood how much their own fans would be against it. I think yeah. they believed yeah. that their own fans would follow them into this European Super League, and they could just say, "Well, who cares what you know Brighton fans think and Burnley fans think?" But the fact that all of their fans universally and their players and their and their manager all of their managers pretty much universally seem so against it i think shocked the owners into kind of reacting i mean hence they you know two days in they were already pulling out and it- yeah it's interesting i think the way that the, the owners have behaved is, is reflected on how the fans have reacted exactly as well because Kronke is universally unpopular at arsenal um, by and large um he hasn't really developed them. they've regressed under him they don't communicate well there's been problems with that in the past um, I think a little bit less so with his son, but nonetheless, um, Stan Kroenke is, um, yeah, he's not a popular figure and the protests were quite vociferous. At Man United, we've seen the very worst of it. They've been hated, the Glazers, since the very beginning and they've been um, now um, essentially, um, they've had everything, haven't they? They have the green and gold campaign, people leaving, going to F- FC United of Manchester, 4,000 of the most vociferous fans leaving to do that. Lots of very big statements um, against it. And obviously there, there was unfortunately some violent actions as well in the minority on what was a rather powerful day of protests at the weekend. And I think um, that's because they're not, they're, they're hugely hated. Um, Liverpool was interesting because um, John W. Henry and the rest of FSG have done some good things. They've developed the ground at Liverpool and they have listened when they've made mistakes, such as with ticketing and with, um, I think, a couple of other major issues that have gone on. So there is the element of they're a little bit more well, muted than they would otherwise have been. Fans say FSG should go now. So that's it. That's the. Yeah, it's changing a bit now, isn't it? Mm, yeah. there, are, there are Liverpool fans who want them out yeah. after this. Well, this is a big debate. I was going to say, we need to take a quick break here. Can we continue this after a short break, guys? Would that be all right? Yeah. Excellent. We will be back in just a moment. So welcome back to part three of this episode where we were just talking about the ESL and all the delights of the American owners at various of those greedy six clubs. Um, Andy, I think I interrupted you halfway through tonight. You were about to make a point. So over to you again, sir. Yeah, I just found it interesting that really like the desperate Florentino, Florentino Perez aside, uh, who just clearly <laughs> needs the cash over in Madrid, um, the, the prime the prime movers in in the English section of the ESL was um, were were the American owners and this was the the thing that really struck me about how culturally that they they misunderstand the game um, the the Glazers transparently are just using Manchester United as a as a cash cow the decisions that they make for the club of made through that prism 
I actually thought when Henry got involved with um, with Liverpool, he he would be a different sort of American owner because of his history with the Red Sox, and you know, I mean, they kind of either they kind of either the Liverpool stroke Man United of, um, of 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 baseball in terms of like the history and. Uh, sort of profile that they have, and uh, I thought he would understand Liverpool a little bit better than um, yeah, it is. and that and that did really disappoint me. Kroenke, his actions don't surprise me at all. He's just done very well out of making money for Arsenal. He's heavily, you know, he owns the Rams. He's 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 very very wealthy. He's just built like the most expensive stadium on the planet. Uh, <laughs> Which uh, which is going to be fat, you know, which is not an entertainment complex, which is still going to be fabulous for his Rams and also the Chargers. So I'm sure he's getting a nice, healthy rent off of them as well. Um, so it's just it's just like this cultural misunderstanding, and now I think that is the fear that we have as English football fans when you look at what's happened to the ownership in in the Premier League is that the boardrooms are moving away from the sport. The, the, the way that they view, the, the way that they view our sport is completely different to how it's meant, how it's viewed by, you know, the people that play it as well. I mean, you know, the, you know, and the managers, I mean, I seriously thought Klopp was going to walk. He looked so mad when he was talking about it. Um, but the people who manage it, people who play it, and certainly us, the people that watch it, and this is a real reckoning for the sport. And it's a real reckoning for the Premier League, the organisation, the Football Association, and also the Football League, UEFA. But the organisations that run it, not, I'm not talking about the, like the owners, but it's like the, you know, the, organ, the custodians of the game have got to realise that this is a situation they have, they have allowed to happen. And it's because, because of, you know, their greed, their short-sightedness that this is that they've allowed these people to take advantage of our sport, and you know it's a real reckoning now. And I think I think it, it is maybe maybe the the Super League's done us a done us a favour by shining a very unflattering light on all of this, and it might it might just pull us back from the brink a little bit. I, I certainly hope so. Yeah, I I completely agree, Andy. I mean, I think. We've been very naive in this country in terms of ownership um, and the, especially in Cronky's case, right, it, he's got form for this. He's yeah. from St. Louis. He took the, the Rams from Los, Los Angeles, or the Rams went from Los Angeles to St. Louis. He took them for all they were worth in St. Louis and then took them back to Los Angeles. He, he had that personal connection and he didn't give a damn. And I think... Yeah these kind of venture, uh, vulture capitalists and these really kind of like capitalism on steroids uh, guys, they they just don't care. They really don't yeah. give a damn about anything but money. And they look at the NFL and how much money that can make them. And they, they don't see why that can't be applied to a much more popular sport. And I think we've been really naive in this country in thinking that actually you know, we we contain them. We've been like a sort of 
uh, you know, they're, they're the bad boys and we'll tame them um, and we'll keep them in line and, and they'll be good for us. But the reality is they, they don't give a damn and, and they never did. And it it's that type of person. This should have happened years ago. And I think you're absolutely right uh, in terms of it being a reckoning and being time for the Premier League and, and this country's sort of football associations to do something to, to make it better because it's it's a long, long way gone. And, and I think we're well past the point where 50 plus one is a viable option. And I think we're well past the point where um, there are kind of, there is a huge amount more we can do apart from bring in these sort of institutional parameters um, to to make things better and, and make things fairer for the fans. Um, there's a lot of talk about the golden share and having fan representation on the board, but um, it, it seems mad when you've got, you know, the owners of Man City with their endless pot of riches and you've got Kev from... <laughs> going oh well I don't think you should do that crown prince um you know it 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 does seem like we're at a point that it might be too late but hopefully it's not yeah I mean we we let the genie out the bottle well we we let the monster out the box actually didn't we with the Premier League it was I mean there was a compromise when that was formed the FA had their hands tied to a certain degree they've managed to avoid the relegation non-clause that was going to be uh I think part of the plan in the first place wasn't it with the Premier League, but ultimately the hands were tied a bit, and then we had this this huge monster, this new huge beer moth that they had lots of money that was that was suddenly permeating the game. Same with the Champions League, and it's very hard to rein that back in. I think we haven't learned lessons from the the chasm that that's created, fiscally speaking, between some clubs and others. Um, it's worse and worse as it goes on. Even parachute payments and FFP and various other things that we tried to do to negate these differences have not really worked. If you look at um, the Americans as well, the, um, the banking crisis in 2008, lessons weren't learned there. JP Morgan, investment bank, financed the proposals for the, um, to four billion for this particular deal now. Um, Mergers and acquisitions manager for that very company was certain Mr. Ed Woodward in the past, man much maligned um, by the metaphorical red half of Manchester. You know, is a guy who had his house attacked on at least two occasions that I know of, um, according to reports, by Man United fans. They're not knocking about <laughs> about their hatred of him and of the venture capitalist slash vulture capitalist. So it it seems that um as you said there, Jack, they don't seem to know or, or they don't seem to care or have any radar of consciousness about the other side. Are they used to getting their way? They're used to people saying yes to them. And they're no matter how rich they are, there is it's an addiction, isn't it, really, to getting more and more rich, to earn more and more money, to see more and more opportunities. It's vulgar. I despise it. It's, as you said, it's, um, what was it, the expression you used? Capitalist something. Capitalism on steroids. On steroids, I was say, yeah. That might be the episode title. <laughs> um, but it really is, isn't it? It's, um, and there's a lot of um, parameters have been uh, drawn between capitalism and socialism and this, this whole sense of the rich club scenario versus the working man's game and everything else. It's a clumsy analogy, just to put it as simply as that. There's a lot more to it, but there's certainly some, some connections between those elements um, that permeate the game from socialist and working class uh, background up to where we are today in such a mixed sport. Um, I think Ernst Blofeld wanted to have another word. Back to you, Peter. 
Yeah, I mean, so I'm going to keep this recurring joke going through the rest the of the pod. The disturbing point of this whole thing was I found myself supporting UEFA, who I have absolutely no <laughs> who are currently in the process of making a Champions League that is a less disgusting option than the Super League, but it's still a pretty disgraceful, allowing, including two wild cards where they basically say, oh, well, big clubs, you know, you didn't do well this season, but because you've done well in the past, you'll be allowed in, which I think is an absolute disgrace. It's even what it's as bad almost as no relegation. You know, it's like basically saying, well, you'll always be in there because, yeah. And that's apparently why they pushed the Super League through because this wasn't enough for them. They obviously, I don't know if they wanted all wild cards to be in the Champions League and it'd be irrelevant whether you're champions or top four or not. But I mean, I think the Champions League is ridiculous anyway. It's like fourth place teams getting in, which is hardly Champions League. Still find that the yeah. biggest irony of football that the, the European Cup changed to the Champions League when they let more teams in, basically. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it's the wrong name, simple as that. Most of the teams aren't even bloody champions anymore. Yeah, so, the, the two in the final this year. Yeah, I don't see any champions there. What happens if Liverpool got relegated somehow and then and then Liverpool allowed in the Champions League because their best record is, you know, they've won the two best records from recent years? It's ridiculous. It's like to base anything on previous seasons. The whole point is you get rewarded for your previous efforts. So whether that's if you win the Champions League, fair enough, but if you, and don't do any in your league, but otherwise it's down to your league or if it's Europa League, down to your cup competitions. You can't just expect to get in because you've done well in previous years. That's just, yeah, it goes against the whole idea of fair competition and, you know, kind of equal, equal competition. And it's, yeah, it's UEFA are, are as bad almost as the European Super League. They're just slightly lesser of the, of the evils. They're not trying to yeah. block everyone else from joining in. They're just trying to ensure that the big pandas are big clubs to keep them on board, which obviously... Yeah, I mean, the, anyway. this shake-up that, um, you know, certainly you've mentioned there, Jack, I think it really is needed. And fundamentally, um, it's long overdue. Um, the, the FA has, has done sweet FA really comparatively in terms of this element of the game, at least. It's done a lot for grassroots here and there, but in terms of that core structure and the bigger, the top end of the game, it's really been ineffective. The Premier League is being eaten by an even bigger beast at the moment, um, subject to any changes there. And it does seem that there just need to be some core changes put in place, really. It, it's going to have to be legis, legis, legislative. Um, it's going to have to be Boris Johnson. It's opportunism for him, of course. He's going to jump on board with that. But to be fair, it's what should be done anyway in this particular occasion. It's going to take all party agreement. But they do need to put in place some core um, some core commitments that you cannot get around. They're just imposed on the owners. And if the owners don't like it, then they can sell because we can't afford to have this sort of disrupt this, this, not just this disruption happen this year is once is bad enough, but to have the threat of that alone, let alone the possibility of actuality over and over again with this happening, it's, it's just going to destroy the game um, just by the threat of it alone. Peter. I think one of the worst aspects of the dominance of the Premier League as well is that every time there's money pushed down the table, there's some sort of, you know, kind of, quid pro quo, which involves basically Premier League taking mm. more and more from the lower leagues. So, for example, the thing that I think most disgusting is the academy level players can be basically taken for nothing if you're a Category A academy, which Albion obviously are at the mile. But even with that, I think it's, it's wrong that we should be able to take players to the point where I think it's like teams like Brentford and Huddersfield will scrap their academy and just don't just buy, you know, bring young players across from Europe later on. They don't even have an academy anymore because it's not worth it because teams like, you know, Chelsea can just grab all the young players and then then not develop them. They just kind of like, in case they make it, they take them. If they don't, then they'll just loan them out for years, as we were saying about loaning out players earlier. And it's, and it's I mean, it's one of the most damaging things in my mind for English football, the fact that 
English, these English youngsters are going to be are being loaned out basically by top level teams, kept on for years, and they're not really given the chance to go through the ranks. Whereas you know, in previous years, they'd have stayed at you know maybe Huddersfield or Brentford and built their way up, and maybe got to the Premier League if they were good enough. And it just feels like the you know it's kind of the Premier League has basically taken all the power, all the money, all the players, all the kind of all the kind of everything, and then it's basically pushing. To my mind, probably the, the Premier League is effectively a, a probably a thirty club system anyway. Now there's probably only about ten clubs of Championship who are realistically going up each year. Although, and you know, some of them obviously drop out of the top top half of the Championship. But there aren't, you know, there's not like a lot. It's not as competitive as maybe ten years ago, probably. And you know, you don't unless I know Huddersfield an exception, but there generally aren't that many clubs you don't expect to be up there. Look, this year Norwich top, who came down last year, Watford second. Swansea made the playoffs last year. Brentford made the playoffs last year. Bournemouth came down last year. It was only Barnsley, really, who were in any way a surprise. Yeah, yeah losing... I mean, the academy's wanting to shut. That, that just smacks of a system that isn't working very well. If clubs of that size and ambition can't run an academy um, to an effective degree... Right, Brentford have done that. Yeah, so, so Brentford yeah. have, done, have decided to basically do an academy kind of super league, <laughs> their own version, right? So they've got, instead of having an under-23 team and playing in the academy system, they, they've got Brentford B, who just play friendlies. And they kind of operate outside of the parameters of the Premier League in, in the Premier League's academy system and, and the Premier League Cup and Premier League 2, right? Which is what every other team's aiming for. And hmm. it's quite an interesting take because it stops... Um, teams like Brentford from losing those players, but they don't have a traditional academy in any sense. And, and you're right, Peter, they, they bring in lots of interesting young players and then play them in this B team um, that, that essentially an under-23 team without a league to play in, which is not good for anyone, is it, really? Hmm. Yeah, the big project, big picture, the B team model, the suggestion of that is ridiculous, isn't it? I, I think the problem I've got is um, with Perez, I mean... His delusion is is chronic. I mean, he's he's talking about how, um, you know, it's all about it's all about Real Madrid and even Ramon Calderon, who I've got a lot more time for. He's obviously a very bright guy. He's a lawyer. He knows his stuff. I think he's been consulted on a number of matters related to this as well. Um, but he even he said that Real Madrid does a lot for Spain abroad in terms of projecting it, and yes, it does raise its profile. But at what expense? They've got such a cartel, them Barca. It's, it's a miracle if anyone else wins a title there. And the curiosity with Spain is that they're run by, uh, well, it's, it's fan-owned. That's the interesting bit. So just about is, is Bayern Munich, but there's very different issues there. Bayern Munich are dominating their league, um, but they're happy and they run well. Real Madrid are dominating their league along with Barca with the same model, um, but they are not being run well because they're, the level of expectation that comes with this so-called Real being a good export item for for the global world, there's an expectation with that, and I think Perez is probably the very peak person of that in terms of he escalates it beyond all compare. The Galacticos model is his. Um, the overspending is really predominantly his. They've got ninety two thousand socios that are, you know, members members on their scheme. It does mean that they the model the model isn't sustainable. The ambition, the expectation isn't sustainable within that ownership model. And that's how they're getting into these problems. So they they need this cartel, as I would call it. And it for me, it just doesn't sit well. Juventus, I think, is is in a slightly different position over here in the UK. City and Chelsea were clearly 
in a FOMO situation, weren't they? Fear of missing out. Yeah. They were worried that they were going to actually be left behind because these others were going to go ahead with it. And I think when they realised how ridiculously badly formed it was, um, they they pulled out. That's where the collapse started. I think Peter wanted to say something in a minute, but go to you first, Andy. Oh, oh yeah, I, I did one. see that Peter wanted to speak. But I think when, you, when you're talking about Perez, I think, I think you highlight the main reason why this was doomed for, for failure. Basically, this Super League has come about because Florentino Perez has been paying somebody £600,000 a week that he's not yeah. going to have working for him. That's why they have no money. Yeah. Um, it's ridiculous money, isn't it's it? It's grotesque. Like, like, if he wanted to like have more money, he could have just been a bit better with the money spent. And, and that's why there's no grand vision for this. There was no grand vision for this. This was, literally was a very narrow conceit where it was just about protecting the revenues and the, and the primacy of, of these individual clubs. It had nothing to do with the benefit of saving football and any, any of that nonsense. Um, it's simply the only antidote to their chronic overspending and lax um, governance of, 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 their, of their own clubs. And without any like real solid ideological vision behind something that, you know, they didn't have a vision to sell the world. It's literally just like, just bail us out because we're so much better than you. Well, you know, I watched Real Madrid last night against Chelsea. Quite frankly, if we were playing them this weekend, I'd fancy us. They yeah, well, we got a draw against Chelsea, haven't we? I'm like that. Yeah, so... <laughs> yeah, and I think you can extrapolate that as well, uh, Andy, that, that it's not just Real Madrid who are in chronic debt, it's yeah. Barcelona as well, and it's Juventus, and yeah. it's all of these teams, and, and you know, uh, the two Milan clubs aren't in a great position either. Um, and it's it's these teams, and you can look at the uh, teams like Bayern Munich and PSG, who have Qatar's money behind them and are well run and turn a profit, and they're fine. They didn't need this. I think that the only surprising clubs to be involved with it on that level were City and Chelsea, right? And I think City, you can explain away politically. You can say, actually, City were put in uh, a choice where they either sided with Qatar and UEFA, their two mortal enemies, or they went and joined the Super League that they didn't really fancy. Um, uh, and they made their choice not to make en- uh, friends of their enemies. And then Chelsea is a bit more bizarre and it, it clearly was a fear of missing out um, idea and it, it clearly Abramovich wasn't particularly keen ever and the rumours were sort of that Bruce Buck was the, the man behind it and pushed for it but um, you know and uh, it's it that's the bizarre one for me and they were the quickest to crumble and I think that's what happens when you've got an Abramovich at the top of the club who cares what the fans think um, and uh, is in complete control and able to just turn it around. Um, but for the rest of those clubs, it, it's about debt and it's about money. And that's yeah. really sad, isn't it? Yeah, I completely, I mean, you only have to look at, you know, the, the, the name, the, you know, the, Europe, the Super League, whatever, European Super League. Well, it didn't have any of last season's Champions League semi-finalists, did it? I mean, that's a simple, <laughs> simple fact. You know, no Bayern, no Lyon, no PSG, no Leipzig. 
I mean, not that I particularly think Leipzig and Lyon would generally get in, but they were the four Champions League semi finalists last year, and not one of them was invited. You know, Bayern refused from the sound of it. I doubt the others will. PSG refused, mostly as well. The others weren't invited. I mean, it's, it's farcical that we have six teams from England, including a team currently, what, ninth in the league? Well, you know, how is that super? What is super about that league that a team who are ninth in the Premier League get, get invited along? It's just, it's just a joke. And I mean, yeah, I completely agree about what everyone's saying about German football. I mean, it's so, I really wish English football was run the same way as German football. You look at the way they bring players through for the, for the national team. You look at the way they, they handle crowds, you know, the kind of safe standing they have. You look at the way that the clubs aren't generally in debt. You look at the crowds they get, you know, it's the whole thing is just so well run. And I really wish that English football took a leaf out of German football's book, but there's far too much money in the Premier League to do that. And that's the, the big issue. There is so much money in Premier League that no one's going to vote for less money to be in Premier League and more to be further down, which is what should happen. And, you know, I mean, I, I, for years, when Brighton were in the lower leagues, I said it's ridiculous how much money in the Premier League and I'm not going to change that now because we're here. It's embarrassing the difference between Premier League and Championship and then the difference between Championship and League One, etc., the amount of money that, you know, teams like Macclesfield go out of business for and bury compared to the amount of money that players earn in Premier League a week is, you know, it's just farcical. And, you know, you've got players could have paid off um, Macclesfield's debts in about two weeks, some of them. And yet, yeah. you know, a, a club goes out of business for, I think it's 500 grand. And, yeah, players like, you know, Bale, obviously, Bale owns that in less than a, in a week, you know. So how is that a, how is that a good spare of money? How is that the right way to do things? It's just obscene. I completely agree. I would say though that uh, fifty plus one is is complicated, right? And hmm. it whilst German football looks good from where we're sitting, it has come from a place in the nineties they brought about fifty plus one, but before that it was all not for profit. It was it's a hundred percent fan owned, which is like the ideal, right? And it, it's on a path now, I think to being more like the rest of Europe and, and less like Germany. I know they love their 50 plus one and the fans have a lot of power, um, but it, it's not on a trajectory of staying the same. And I think... It, isn't that why Leipzig are so unpopular, isn't it? Because they're pretty much... Le- Leipzig, like, break the rules, kind of. They they have um, a very small amount of fans. I think they've got, like, 14 members or something. Um, to to make up the fifty one percent, but the the reality is that it, there are clubs who have found ways around it, um, and there's a loophole in there that if they've been owned for more than twenty years, they can just be privately owned. Um, but at the same time, Bayern have been dominant, absolutely dominant in that league because they're big and very good and make a lot of revenue, but also because they're backed by Qatar in the same way PSG are. Uh, as a 49% stake um, and the 51% isn't like thousands of members it's it's quite a small amount and I think um, whilst it does look good from where we're sitting there are there are flaws with 50 plus one um, and the aim shouldn't be 50 plus one the aim should be not for profit really um, in an idealist world so that would never happen right <laughs> like, yeah. we're way too yeah. far gone yeah, but I mean, yeah, the other side, I suppose, arguably, is yeah, Bayern are just about to win their ninth consecutive league title, so it's not very competitive, mm. and actually a lot more than over here. Bayern just basically nick players from their closest closest mm. rivals, so you know mm. it actually makes it less competitive in a sense. And you don't get like Man City really often, you know, taking players from like Liverpool or Tottenham. They do occasionally, but they don't do it a lot. Whereas mm. you know, over there, half of Bayern's team came from one of their rivals. If we did the Super League ever did t- transpire. 
two things. Either there may be some way we'd kick the clubs out um, involved from the English domestic game. That would ruin things. It distorts everything. It's not the real champions, all that sort of stuff. You know, that, that would be a mess. Or do you allow, allow them to stay in? That wouldn't work either because they would have expanded bloated squads. They'll be able yeah, to uh, those G, G6, maybe less so, but with the extra wealth they think they're going to get, um, they could um, just as easily swell with star-laden ranks. Um, they have to yeah, go in their mind. There's no way they can play in the Super League with no yeah. no qualification, no way of you know getting through yeah. as compared to. And then um, and yeah, I don't. I still don't get how they were going to decide the five teams each season as well. I mean, it's a bit weird to pick five teams from across Europe. I mean, it's like how do you select five teams from Europe? <laughs> Like, yeah. they'll bestow the gift when, of, when you've of got European in football to decide it because you've already got the European football it's kind of yeah, yeah like, and it, 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 in that sense it came across as so rushed right it, like the way it hmm. seemed announced was that it was like they were rushing out to beat the um, Champions League announcement exactly. which is the logical yeah. thing but the reality is that, that that wasn't the truth that they wanted to announce it on I think the 15th of April which is the Hillsborough anniversary and and John Henry said no no we can't do that like you think the backlash is going to be bad <laughs> anyway <laughs> imagine doing it on the Hillsborough anniversary so good grief yeah. this had been planned it wasn't like mm. it was rushed out and and to tack on uh, there will be a women's super league and to yeah just on, thrown in as a token comment yeah all of these like extra things and the especially league. the teams the male teams not having all having great women's teams anyway. I wonder how much of this is Perez had actually jumped the gun here because clearly something was rushed. They only had 12 of the 15 members, core members agreed. They hadn't got TV deals in place, which I think was a fundamental flaw mm-hmm. in announcing it when they did, part of the PR, PR cock-up, along with um, obviously the, um, okay. you know, the, the way it was presented and everything else. But um, it didn't feel like it was a completed project for all yeah. of the time they'd been planning it. It's taken a yeah, lot. Absolutely. And their crap Champions League plans, which actually are terrible mm. as well, but no one's really talking about that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a disgrace, by the way. <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. The new plans for UEFA's competition is, is rubbish. They think it's boring with the groups and everything else. They're going to have a longer one. There's more games. There's more distortion for the domestic competitions across across Europe. Yeah. It's already a bit of a nightmare in Spain and England, especially with 20 teams per, per division. That's it's it's too many games already. We need to get less games, not more. And oh, but that would mean less money, though, wouldn't it? So exactly, money talks. And on that matter, I'm going to I'm going to really annoy you just with the final part of this. Um, we talked about how everyone's universally against it, and I listened to things like the Anfield Rap, which is excellent, and especially Neil Atkinson and John Gibbons are brilliant on there. But everyone on there has been talking very well about how how against it they are. We've seen how against the United fans are, and and the various others. Okay. There's very the well, there's very few... the, um, about the original plan, the previous plans, didn't we? When we yeah, that's right. Yeah, the big picture. Yeah, yeah, and they were against that as well. Um, but it's not universal. And um, there's a guy I know from my Sunday football um, who is an Arsenal fan. He's not a match-going Arsenal fan. He might have been to some games, but he's not a regular match-goer. Definitely not. I think he's an articulate guy, quite charming, quite friendly, quite informative. He knows his stuff. He's in. I think he's in IT side of finance. I think something something along those lines. Computer programs, sorry, um, in finance. But he he is 100% in favour of the Super League. Would you believe? <laughs> He is 100% in favour of it. And I didn't get him on the show. I was tempted, but I thought this would go on forever. And it, it's, it's just banging your head against a brick wall. His arguments, to be fair, I'll, I'll present his arguments as much as I can recall they were the case. He said, 
he's a big fan of football up and down the land, but he loves to watch really good quality football and he likes quality in general. So he wants to see ballers against ballers, the best against the best, see, see what happens, see what happens when the best are playing each other each time. And his argument is he wouldn't get bored of that, which was what I put to him. He said he wouldn't because it's such good quality. It would remain great. I did say about how the competition would get stifled through time in the league format and so on. But, you know, anyway. Um, but but he, he said in terms of, you know, the, the, the argument about it ruining the culture of the game, it's, it's pissing on football, it's pissing on the history, et cetera, et cetera. He's saying, well, yeah, but things move on and, and the game's already changed exponentially. The Premier League's ruined it. He, you know, he knows his history with it in terms of the timeline and what's happened. But he's saying things have changed forever anyway, and we should just go with the flow. And in answer, he also said in terms of this thing about the global market, I was saying, well, I'm not sure that the global market is that big as Perez and the rest think it is, because a lot of Americans I'm hearing are not in. They, they like what, what we've got now as it is, when it is. Yeah, the kickoff times are annoying for them, but they, they just take that as part of the part of the thing. Um, in Asia, the Asian markets, um, speak, listening to a guy on the World Football phone in, he's somewhere in Asia. I can't remember where he said he was, Malaysia, I think. And he said that, yeah, it's everyone he speaks to over there, no, no one's in favor of it. They all think it's bad. But as I said, this guy I know, there are people that think it is a good idea. And he said, um, is it fair that the global market who are interested in football, maybe every bit as much as we are, whether they go to games or not, should be deprived of being able to watch it at a reasonable time. Really? <laughs> I, 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 really, I, <laughs> I, I kind of, uh, to, to not be, uh, stick my personal view into it too hard, um, like, <laughs> obviously, completely disagree and uh, think he's talking rubbish, but I do think that's like the core of this argument, right? Is that it's mm. about us legacy fans and yeah. and the the potential new audience and if you can basically somehow turn the um the twitter following or instagram following of man united into paying customers then that's much bigger than the population yeah. of the uk right yeah and, pound, pound and, per view with a global market massive, yeah, exactly. massive money so hmm. so i i do understand it i mean i think it would be rubbish i think the reality is you would it would need to be like the Harlem Globetrotters, right? If it was ever yeah. gonna work, because there wouldn't be enough interest in in the domestic market and there wouldn't be enough interest for people like us who actually, you know, we want to go to the games. And I think as a TV spectacle, they very much had this idea that it would work um, and they'd be able to sell it around the world as a TV spectacle. But the thing that doesn't equate with that is that everyone talks about the Premier League as this sort of great product, but hmm. it's a, the the core of that is the fans being there, and I think that that's been hammered home this season and even before the pandemic. People were saying, "Ah, oh, you know, the atmosphere." I spent a year abroad before the pandemic, and everywhere I, I went, they were like, "Yeah, I watched the Premier League. I'd love to go to a game and be part of that crowd." That's the, yeah. the thing everyone said. And that would die out in a league like this. And it, it wouldn't be fun and players wouldn't find it very interesting and, and it would be a bit boring. But I do understand people who aren't interested in following a team, which I think is a very global way of looking at sport um, and aren't interested in following a league particularly and just want to see the odd game, turning around and going, 
actually, I think it'd be quite good if I could just log on to my computer and watch Man United versus Barcelona for a quid. Um, yeah, I completely disagree with them um, and and think it would be rubbish. But but I do understand that argument if you're not particularly interested in football. Yeah, you you can see it from that point of view. But it, but we, but we are the uh, we are the audience. We are the original audience. Yeah, it's our it's our, it basically it's our game. It's it's us the fan the match going fans and those that would be if they weren't priced out etc. Those fans those are the real fans. That's where the culture, the history, the generations comes from. You've got the passion, you've got the edge, you've got the, the tribalism, you've got the jeopardy, you've got the peril, all those elements that being close to the pitch, all of that stuff, atmosphere in the ground. That's what it's all about. And you're going to lose that. And if you've got, it, it will quickly become nauseating, no matter how good it is, if you're watching Harlem Globetrotter style football um, with certain clubs dominating, there's nothing to stop a, a further subdivision, further down the line anyway. If seven or eight of those clubs are just not pulling the weight, What's there to stop there being a six or seven team Super League breaking away from that? Uh, Peter? The Europa Conference Super League. Well, yeah. Obviously, Arsenal would be one of the ones who probably lose out. I find it quite yeah, amusing, yeah. especially on the night that we're discussing this, they've got knocked out of Europe, so they won't probably be in Europe next season, um, yeah. which is quite entertaining. But yeah, I can imagine why he might prefer, you know, watching Arsenal lose to AC Milan in a bottom half Super League game compared to lose doing the Brighton doing a double over them in the Premier League. I can get why it might be less embarrassing for them to have a bigger team do the double over them than it would be to have us to have a Brighton do the double over them. It must be awkward yeah. being a team supporting a team who once were decent and are now extremely average and definitely not super. Yeah. yeah well, I, I mean, just to just to add that, I, uh, like I think there is something almost applicable to our situation and at the moment in that it is more fun to watch your team as underdogs punching above their weight than to watch your team as the best team failing, right? <laughs> um, and if you don't succeed as an underdog, then you don't, it, like, it's fine. But if you don't succeed as the favourite, you failed miserably and it's all a bit miserable. Um, so I, I completely agree with you, Peter. Yeah. And also to, to quote the man who um, whose team were in our pockets at the weekend, Marcelo Bielsa, who I do love actually, Bielsa, he said, one of the reasons football's the most popular sport in the world is that um, is that the weak can beat the powerful. He also said of this Super League thing, it shouldn't surprise us in all walks of life, the powerful look after their own backs and they don't worry about the rest of us. These observations and sensibilities reveal his philosophical standpoint beautifully, I think, and hint towards the underlying clash of philosophies within the industry between the arch-capitalist agenda of the vulture-capitalist um, Infesting our sport and the ordinary Joes in the street, in the pub, in, on the stadium seats, on the terraces, in the living rooms, who have a pure connection and emotional engagement with this beautiful game of ours. I point listeners to excellent articles described in the past fortnight on the subject of wealth, greed and difference within the game, like The Guardian, stuff like that. Um, but I think I certainly agree with, with what Bielsa had said um, before that anyway. And um, finally, going back to what Bielsa, he said... Um, he expressed the view that structures should have been in place to prevent this um, blatant attack on the game and others like it. So quite strong words from him as well somewhere. Um, so, I mean, that kind of sums it up, isn't it? It's the people's game. It needs to stay that. And it, we could go on forever about this one. We'd probably better, better wind yeah, up there. Forever. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. um, ultimately, yeah, I mean, there will be the occasional exceptional person who thinks it's a good idea other than the people instigating it. They are in the minority, and 
I really hope that we've seen the end of this, but I fear there's going to be other manifestations of it in one form or another that we'll have to snuff out. And it's up to the government to do something, isn't it? Um, well, I think we'll leave it there because the debate could go on and on. Anyway, thank you to our debut boy, Jack, to Andy Bass and to my regular co-host, Peter, for this episode. It's the first half of a Thursday conversation. We are now going to continue on into our next episode, episode 137, in which we will be interviewing a recent former Albion player who came up through the academy ranks. It's Danny Cashman. He's been released by the club. We're going to find out what he's been up to and what his next plans are. We're also going to preview the Wolves game. In the meantime, for this episode, we'll round off in the usual way by saying, stand or fall, up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.